Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for being part of my audience tonight. I'm Jason Martin, and as I say every night, I am blessed beyond measure, and it has never been more true than it is right now in my life. I am so thankful for everything that has come my way as of late, and I hope that you recognize just how blessed you all are as well. Also, the editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number tonight, as always, 615-737-1045. Might not have that much time for calls tonight. i got my good buddy Jeff Schwartz joining me for the next couple of segments to talk some NFL. Well, I guess it is off-season now, but we'll look back at the Super Bowl one more time, try to figure out what went wrong, and specifically kind of drill down some on the offensive line, as that's what Jeff did in the NFL for eight years also, just a little bit of a programming note, Outkick the Coverage runs before the wake-up zone for the first hour at least uh, every day, every weekday here on 104.5 Zone. Coming up the week of February the 18th, that being the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, and 22nd, I will be hosting for Clay on Fox Sports Radio, so you will hear me. And for the first three days of that week, Jeff Schwartz will join me uh, on those broadcasts. So, got a lot of us to look forward to, certainly. So, we'll talk NFL in the next segment. So the trade deadline came and went, and Anthony Davis remains a New Orleans Pelican. Los Angeles Lakers tried, weren't able to get it done. Now it looks like maybe they don't get it done at all. Maybe he goes to Boston, even though he said he won't resign there. Maybe he goes to Milwaukee. Who knows where he could potentially end up. But the Lakers were trying to play their cards to get this thing to happen. And in the process, they actually came out looking desperate because of the way this was leaked to the media. And I've got a friend who also works for Fox Sports Radio, Robert Guerra, who's a producer for Rob Parker and Chris Broussard, which you also hear sometimes on 104.5 Zone. He tweeted this out a couple of days ago. How soon until Lakers fans start turning on Magic? Not LeBron, but Magic Johnson. And so you start to look at some of the things that have happened for the L.A. Lakers since LeBron got there, but even dating back before LeBron got there. And he maps out some of these things. He traded away D'Angelo Russell, and certainly that did not start well, but D'Angelo Russell looks like he might actually turn out to be an all-star. And he did that for cap space that they never were able to actually use. Paul George was signed, sealed, and delivered to become an L.A. Laker. And he never even sat down and met with the organization before deciding to stay in Oklahoma City, which no one saw coming. Everyone that watched Paul George exit Indiana 
just assumed that he was a rental for a year to see if they could make a run with Westbrook, with Paul George, and then later with Carmelo Anthony being added to that mix and with those role players for Billy Donovan, trying to make a run at a little bit of a super team for a year. But everyone assumed Paul George was then going to go to L.A. because it was the worst-kept secret in the league that he wanted to play you know, where he grew up. He wanted to be a Laker. And Magic couldn't even get a meeting with Paul George in the offseason before George decided to stay in OKC. This is Magic Johnson, folks, that could not get this done. Then he builds a roster and he brings in all these veteran guys. Rondo's been hurt. At times he's been good when he's been on the floor. He drafts Lonzo Ball. We'll get to that again here in just a second. He brings in Stevenson. He brings in JaVale McGee, who did win a championship in Golden State, but these are a lot of volatile, sort of quirky personalities to put into your locker room. They are vets, and LeBron likes to have vets around. But you brought in a lot of potentially volatile guys. And one thing that we've also found out recently is that Brandon Ingram is kind of a volatile guy as well. Certainly somebody that's not opposed to to fighting if need be. So there were some elements here that might not actually work out. And now they're trying to get Anthony Davis, and it fails. And a lot of it hinges on the fact that all this information got out to the media about what was and what was up there that the Lakers were offering the Pelicans, and people were saying, well, the Pelicans got to take this. And it's sort of weird because, yeah, the Pelicans can technically trade Anthony Davis anywhere, but Anthony Davis has more power here than you think. How do you feel about the superstar player that makes it known publicly through his representation that he will not re-sign with this team, 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 and this team. And maybe only three teams might he consider re-signing with. Because if you're on that first list, the one that I just spelled out that was lengthy, where he's not going to re-sign or says he's not going to re-sign, then you have to bank that somehow you can get the unicorn that Paul George became for Oklahoma City where it didn't look like he was going to re-sign and then he did. That you can entice him by either winning a bunch of games with him having the right atmosphere surrounding him, a great fan base, whatever it might be, you have to bet that that is going to work or you've got to bow out. Because who is it out there that's running a billion-dollar enterprise that's going to hand over good assets because you're not just handing away trash to get Anthony Davis? Who's going to hand away a bunch of solid assets that you currently have in your organization for a rental in an NBA where you already know that Golden State's going to win the championship. Seriously, stop and think about that for a second. When he comes out and says 28 NBA NBA teams, I will not re-sign with you long-term, then that says, okay, well, 28 teams are not going to trade for Anthony Davis unless they are taking the risk of all risks. Rich Paul, his agent with Clutch Sports, is also LeBron James' agent. It felt like this was all manufactured the way it was released, first by Anthony Davis and Rich Paul, to basically muddy the waters and get a lot of guys to climb out of the pool, to leave just a few suitors, one of which being the Lakers, so that he could end up with the Lakers. Then you got Charles Barkley on TNT talking about tampering. And Magic Johnson's been accused of tampering before. But all of the Lakers 
information was made public. Look at the Knicks. The Knicks, I heard Brian Windhorst say this yesterday. He said that the entire league, internal sources within the league, believe that the New York Knicks have inside information. And that's not a bad thing. It means that they know that Kevin Durant is headed there at the end of this season. That he's not going to be in Golden State. That this stuff with Draymond Green was not just a sideshow. That he does not like the idea that he gets no credit for these championships, in my opinion, because he shouldn't. As good as he played and as much as he offered to that team, that was a 73-win team before he got there. And so he wants to go carve out his own legacy and create his own super team. So the Knicks are expecting him and maybe Kyrie Irving or him and another superstar, whether it's Boogie Cousins or whatever, and they're going to make a run. Now, the Knicks have done this before with Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony. Didn't really work, but that's what they tried to do. So the Knicks have this inside information, and so they make a couple of moves. They send Kristaps Porzingis away, Tim Hardaway Jr. away, a couple of other guys with them to create some cap space, to create the money to sign two max players in the offseason. You would not trade Kristaps Porzingis if you did not know or feel real secure about what's going to happen in the offseason. The Knicks aren't going to win with or without Kristaps Porzingis this year. The Warriors are going to win the NBA championship. We know this already. This is planning for the future. This is stockpiling. The Mavs are trying to plan for the future. You are, but you, what every NBA team wants to do right now is be the team that's waiting in the wings to win. Now, Philadelphia, they go grab Tobias Harris, all-star, you know, borderline all-star player that can totally shoot. That's a team that doesn't have a lot of shooters. They send a couple of guys away, but they bring in Tobias Harris from the Clippers. How do you feel if you're a Clippers fan being the number seven seed in the West in the playoffs and they trade away your best player because the team, the organization, Steve Ballmer, really doesn't want to make the playoffs for draft purposes? That's The, the chess game in the NBA is so much more fascinating than the basketball game. I said this a couple of days ago. It's the only sport that I can remember where watching what's happening within these organizations is 10 times more interesting than the actual game. And I love the game. But the outcome almost feels predetermined. The Warriors are going to win the championship this year unless three of those players get hurt. And it's got to be the right three. If Draymond gets hurt, they'll still win. Boogie Cousins get hurt. Well, they've already won without him. Got to have Steph. Got to have KD. And you need Klay Thompson for spacing. But... The Sixers have gone all in. They bring in Harris to go with Embiid and Simmons. And now they ship out Markel Fultz today, which I feel sorry for him. How badly that went. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to rehab his career. Everybody is trying to stockpile for the future. Nobody's trying to win for right now. So the Knicks feel like they're going to get Kevin Durant. I think they are too. I said that before the season started. But it's sure, the moves that they're making are moves that you make when you feel like you know what's going to happen. You know how this story is going to end, or at least this volume of the book. The Lakers put everything out there and came across looking like a desperate team. And this is a team that's got LeVar Ball now running off at the mouth again, saying some of the most outlandish stuff that I've ever heard this week just to try and get it out there. And now he's trying to assert that he really would like to see Lonzo in Phoenix, perhaps, with his two brothers, because those three would tear up the NBA. I can't talk about LeVar Ball anymore. In fact... The NBA trade deadline was fascinating. We saw Mark Gasol exit Memphis. He goes to Toronto, but they keep Mike Conley, which some people expected both those guys to be gone. Didn't end up happening. But it was fascinating to watch this go. And now Anthony Davis is still with the Pelicans. He wants to play out the rest of the season. Who knows what they're going to do 
if they're going to put him on ice to make sure he's still healthy at the end of the year. I, I don't know how this is going to play out, but the Lakers have botched this thing about 7,000 ways. And Magic Johnson is really on the hook for a lot of it. Up next, my good buddy Jeff Schwartz. We will talk about the Super Bowl, maybe next season, what's going to happen in the NFL, and a pretty fascinating tweet that he put out about Chiefs-Patriots. We'll talk about it all next as the Big Six rolls along here on 104.5 The Zone. back in big six here on 104.5 the zone i'm jason martin as always you can follow me on twitter at jmart zone still to come tonight huge announcement regarding the pop six podcast a special series we're about to jump into in pop culture for the next month i am super excited to let you guys know what it is we're doing we recorded the first one a little bit earlier this afternoon and it went an hour and five minutes and we barely even scratched the surface this is why we brought this pop culture podcast back right now we bring in my good friend jeff schwartz played on the offensive line the nfl for eight years writes for sb nation and uh, i guess we can talk about the super bowl jeff we can talk about a, a myriad of different things but since you tweeted out about it today let's start with this kansas city is headed to foxborough for the third year in a row. Now, New England seems to play in Pittsburgh every year, but this is sort of strange. I don't know why this continues to happen, and it's not like it's the end of the world, but you assume that the Chiefs and the Pats are two teams where a head-to-head meeting between the two matters, and again, Patrick Mahomes has to go to Foxborough, and that is that raised your eyebrows. My favorite part about my tweet, by the way, was people trying to tell me like how the scheduling works. I understand how the schedule works. I understand how opponents are chosen. But the question is, is there's a formula, you know, where so for, for people who don't know, by the way, you play obviously your your division opponents twice each, and then you you play um, a division of the AFC and, and NFC that rotates every year, correct? Yes. And then you play the corresponding um, seed in the two other divisions in your conference. So, for example, the Chiefs are number one seed in the AFC. They play Baltimore and New England uh, as number one seeds of their two divisions, and then they play, what, what, what would that leave, the AFC South next yeah. year yeah. as a division. So so how do they determine the home and away of those two teams? And there's a weird formula, but supposedly – the next three meetings between New England and Kansas City will be in Kansas City. I mean, it seems kind of weird that they don't rotate year to year. Um, but if this were to, to, to manifest itself for the next three years in the same manner, they would all be in Kansas City, whatever that, for whatever that's worth. But you're right. I mean, this game could be of huge importance toward home field advantage. Um, a lot of us just saw, unfortunately, the Chiefs couldn't, couldn't close it out this year at home. But it matters. New England doesn't lose at home. <laughs> and, right. It could be a big deal. This is probably your, what you're going to get in week one, I would imagine, on Thursday night. Yeah, I haven't talked to you since, and I've asked every, I asked everybody on Radio Row uh, last week, and I did an entire show on this. I hate the NFL overtime rules. I can't stand it because it feels like you're playing half of an extra inning in baseball. And not many times do I think baseball uh-huh. has something right that the NFL doesn't. But I, you know, most of the people that I talked to on Radio Row said they're fine with the rules and that if it had been Mahomes that got it, we wouldn't be arguing. I said, I wish this had not happened to New England now, because I've been arguing this for a long time, that I just think you have to keep on playing because you asked the Kansas City defense to do something you didn't ask the New England defense to do. Where are you on these overtime rules? Is this, is this something that needs to change? And by the way, I don't think that it is ever probably going to change, but I just feel like you got to keep playing until one team fails to do what the other one does. 
Uh, I love overtime rules. I would I would be okay if it went back to sudden death. But, but what nowadays though, with the way offenses move down the field, I think a field goal would be would be too quick of an overtime. They're not asking you know you mean if you you know kick the ball to twenty five. You, know, you only need what, like forty yards to get yeah. a field goal range with some of these kickers now. So I'm not a fan of that. But but your, your baseball analogy doesn't work here because in baseball you're afforded 27 outs. In football, you're not. There's no nothing fair about football. You you have un, you know you have unfair amount of possession. Mm. Uh, you you have you know, you don't you don't have a a pitcher and a, and a hitter every time, right? I mean, it's just it's not the same set of rules, so you can't compare it to baseball. The way a lot of us look at it is this: if you have 60 minutes to play a game, it's plenty of time to play a game. And overtime should not be like a reward for not getting it fixed in 60 minutes. And I feel like if you make it to where you play college rules, it's like, all right, well, you didn't win, you know, you didn't win a regulation. All right, well, let's figure it out in overtime. Uh, and you know, everyone's it's all fair and equal. But football is not a fair and equal sport. And I'm okay with the idea of a defense having to, you know, to get a stop. The Rams, by the way, went ahead and got a stop in their game against the Saints. Um, you know, we talk about three phases of football, but all of a sudden, the only phase that matters is offense in the, in, you know, in the overtime. And, you know, defense mattered on Sunday when the Rams and Patriots played. So I'm all for the way it's set up right now. I mean, just as an ex-player alone, I, I don't want more reps than I have to get. I mean, if you end up playing in, in, in this, they've done studies. that If you play an overtime game on Sunday, uh, you often don't win the following week. It makes it tough. Um, those extra reps, if you get 15, 20 extra reps, and let's say your, your game itself is a, is a, is a heavy rep game. And if Chiefs, you know, the, the, the Patriots had 94 reps on offense that game. Um, that's, a, that's a lot. Uh, a lot on the Chiefs' defense as well. So I'm fine with the way it is. Um, you know, the Chiefs had many chances to win in regulation and just couldn't do it. They, you know, and then overtime, obviously, you know, they, they got three third and tens converted on them. So... Sean McVay was asked in the post-Super Bowl press conference whether or not he had seen something on film or just assumed something was going to happen where it was not going to be feasible to throw the football to Todd Gurley. Now, Todd Gurley only had 16 combined touches in the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, which is kind of a staggering statistic on its own. But this is a team that maybe with the exception of the Chiefs is the best screen team in the NFL. Yeah. And the Patriots blitzed, sent five, sometimes six, on 50% of Jared Goff's dropbacks in the game, and the only screen that they threw hit C.J. Anderson in the back. What exactly was Sean McVay doing, not at least trying to shorten that blitz or make them back off a little bit by making them pay for it by throwing screens? Well, I don't know what happened with Gurley. Um, I don't think he's hurt. I've been told he's not hurt. I've been told by people... They're close to the Rams, not not people close to Todd Gurley, but people that they know players of the Rams who said he's not hurt. He didn't look hurt on Sunday. He ran fine. He had he had good cuts. He did a good job. Um, I I I I think he's fine, and I don't know what happened. Um, it's almost like the Malcolm Butler thing two years ago, mm-hmm. where we don't really still know what happened, and I'm not sure we're ever going to know what happened with Todd Gurley. I mean, I guess you want to ride the hot hand, but. The hand that got you there was Todd Gurley. And this idea he can't run inside zone is a bunch of crock, I think. It's terrible. It's stupid. Um, you know, the, the, you mentioned the, the pass game. The Patriots can't cover running backs out of the backfield. They haven't been able to do it for years. The linebackers are slow. Look, they're more pass rushers. We saw them rush the passer the other day. They can rush the passer fine. Yeah. They can't guard running backs. And just shocking to me, the Rams' lack of adjustments, period, in the game. I mean, you know, there's inside the NFL clip of, 
of Sean McVay saying to Bill Belichick before the game, you know, something like, you know, I, I really like how you how you change week to week and, and whatnot. And, yeah, the, they always do that. So how do you right. not have any answers for it? How do you not expect it? Yeah, I mean, they came out in quarters. I mean, they used quarters coverage to the effect, and then they, they did some of the things. The Patriots defense, I was talking to Dave McGinnis, and he went through the All-22 and padded the game, and he was basically telling me, look, they did what they did during the regular season, but they confused Sean McVay by doing it on different downs and using a different guy. I remember having you on the air after Baltimore just absolutely obliterated the Tennessee Titans, and we were discussing how many sacks Marcus Mariota had and how many of them were on him, and you said the brilliance of the Ravens in that game was that Tennessee never had a clue where it was coming from. Yeah. And when you look at this game, that's what it felt like. It felt like not just golf, but Sean McVay had no idea where Belichick was coming from next. Uh, you know, I disagree a little bit that they just did things like they normally do. I mean, they ran a high percent of zone that's on true. first and second down, which they hadn't, which they hadn't done all season, really. I mean, they were, you know, they ran about fifty percent man, but mostly on third downs. Um, it was first and second down when when the Rams really want to hit those play action passes, they were in quarters coverage, and golf just didn't see it, uh, or they were in buzz coverage. Now third down, they look at the rest of the season, which is heavy man coverage, and then. You know, in the playoffs, they really were able to, to do those stunt games, those twists um, up front. And it's not that you don't, like, know where they're coming. You, you kind of do. You, you know it's coming. I, I would say just the Rams just took poor sets up front, I thought, offensive line-wise. Because they, 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 they picked it up sometimes, and, and definitely it's, like, pretty amazing. As you see them do it right sometimes, and you're like, well, why aren't you doing this right all the time? Like, you know how to do it. You guys are a very good offensive They're a very good offensive line. And – I was just really stunned even more by just not their ability to not pick it up. And when we talk about bad offensive line play, and we discussed this and we talked about the Titans Ravens game yeah. is it's not just one guy, right? Like they all took their turns. You know, the left guard was bad one play, then the right guard was bad, then it was the center and the right guard. Uh, but the Patriots, what they do best, what they always do is they attack weaknesses and against the, the Chargers, they attack the right side of the offensive line. Against the Chiefs, they they looked really hard at the inside of the interior guys, and then in this game they really attacked the center, John Sullivan. He's a good center, just he doesn't move laterally very well. He's like old, and they really did a good job of rushing his edge. So, um, great game plan, obviously, and just just I don't know why the Rams didn't expect this. I'm shocked by that. So the offensive line play as a whole, how would you grade it if you were going on A to F for the L.A. Rams in this game? Um. It was probably like a D. I mean, it, 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 it did some good things in the run game. It protected okay. But, I mean, I think it's more expectations. Like, I just expect them to be an A. They were an A against the Cowboys. They were an A against the Saints. And then all of a sudden, they just were a D against the Patriots, who were less talented, by the way, than the Cowboys and then the Saints defensive ones. I also think if you – I mean, Jared Goff obviously did not play well, but Jared Goff was asked to throw on third and long repeatedly because of failures yeah. on early downs and very predictable run on one, run on two, and then throw, throw on three. And that's the same thing that happened to the Seahawks against the Cowboys where Russell Wilson was asked to be heroic on third down, and Wilson's a better player than Jared Goff. I felt bad for Jared Goff. He was taking a lot. I know he didn't play well, but it seemed to me like the Rams set him up to fail by the way they came out and approached that offense. No, I don't think they set up to fail. I just don't think that 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 he knew what was happening, and maybe that's on McVeigh for you know 
you know, the way you say failure set him up, just on McVay himself, just not getting the proper game plan set up. But I, I never felt that – I just don't feel that way about – I don't feel like he was set up to fail. I just didn't think he saw So how bad happened. was he then? He was bad, um, but I don't think it's all McVay's fault. I mean, you know, you know, quarters – you know, the, Dan Orlovsky broke this down on – Social on you uh, get it pretty well. I mean, the, the throws that was late to Cooks. He saw he saw he saw cover three. He turned his back to the line of scrimmage. Uh, quarters, you know, was presented to him after he you know after he turned his back, um, and he just didn't see it right. He, you know, safety flat footed should have hit the post right away, and didn't see it. That's not on McVay. I mean, Goff has got to be better than that. Well, Goff's also not. He doesn't seem to be very adept at throwing guys open. And I thought that he kind of. I felt the opposite about that. Earlier on in the season, especially in the game I always go back to is the Vikings game on Thursday night football where he looked like he was the greatest quarterback I've ever seen play the game. But here you mentioned the Cooks play. He was late to Cooks. That's a touchdown if he throws him open or if he throws the ball a couple of seconds earlier than he did. But he seems like a guy that needs the window to be open and then he's very accurate at getting the football to somebody there. Do do you feel like that's at least somewhat accurate? Well, I definitely think it's worth the discussion on whether or not Goff is the quote unquote system quarterback. I mean, he makes those at times that are not system quarterback ish, right? But then you see a game like this and you wonder, well, is it, is it just Goff didn't play well? Is it, is the offense limited with Goff and that why they couldn't do more than they normally do? Um, there's many questions that happen after this loss. But tell you what, I mean, against the Saints though, he didn't look like a system quarterback, right? He played right. really well. So, um, I think he's more than a system quarterback. I think mean, he had a bad night. We'll take a break. We'll come back more with Jeff Schwartz just talking NFL, man, just off-season NFL, and we'll get into Nick Foles and a bunch of other things that are going on around the league. The Super Bowl, you can only say so much. You answer the same question. Look, we can't answer the question about Todd Gurley. We just know he should have been on the field more than 16. He should have had more than 16 touches in the NFC title game and the Super Bowl combined. What a stat that is. Back in a moment with more with Jeff Schwartz here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Thursday night here in the Music City, the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Coming up in the final segment, Pop 6, get excited. Four-week series. First episode of it will release tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you all about it. Just teasing it right now. Just kind of getting you ready for it. We're talking some football. Now that the season is over, I bring in, again, my good friend Jeff Schwartz. Writes for SB Nation, at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. That's with a G, not a J. Patriots are not the favorites, but, I mean, they're 8-1. to one. The favorites is Kansas City next year, and that makes sense in a lot of ways. But it looks like Brady's coming back. Belichick's going to go ahead and come back. I said on the show the day after the Super Bowl, you won't get me to pick against this team again. I picked. I did pick the Eagles right. But other than that, I've been wrong on the Patriots so many times in the past I just, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach in the history of team sports, and I think this was his masterpiece. If he could tear himself away, he would be walking away from maybe the greatest coaching performance I've ever seen in an NFL game. But he's going to come back, and he's going to make adjustments again. He loses Brian Flores. In comes Greg Schiano to be the defensive coordinator. And so I just mentioned Brian Flores. Flores and Zach Taylor, two guys that coached in this game and then immediately went on to their new job. Zach Taylor in Cincinnati being the quarterback's coach for Jared Goff. 
and then uh, Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator, who was part of that brilliant, brilliant deal. Either one of those two guys going to be successful long term? Do you think? Oh, I don't know. Um, obviously, for Flores, it, it depends on who he hires on the offensive side and his quarterback he has. I, mean, I think Tannehill is better than Andy Dalton, but they're both probably not quarterbacks. It looks like Tannehill's gone too, right? Uh, he, I think he can come back. Mm. Um, you, they can re-sign him, obviously. Right. Um, I just... Uh, I mean, Flores is I'm, walking into I'm, a rebuild, Jeff. I, mean, he, he, Brian, I, I think Brian Flores, because he's just been coaching a lot longer, and I just, I don't know, I just, I'll just go with him. I don't know if there's a right answer. Yeah, I mean, we don't know, and maybe all of this is going to work itself out. But back to the odds, Patriots 8-1, to one, are they just going to do this again? I mean, Kansas City's knocking on the door. They'll have a new defensive coordinator. You assume they're going to address some of those issues in the draft. The offense is the offense. Williams is great. Hill is great. Kelsey is great. Mahomes is transcended. Andy Reid, the enemy, that whole, that whole crux, that whole nucleus is coming back. Do you think Kansas City can finally get over the hump next year? I mean, New England's going to be there again. Like, you don't know who else is necessarily going to be there in the AFC. Maybe the Colts, or maybe they take a step back. Maybe the Texans, or maybe they take a step back. Who knows, except that the Chiefs and the Patriots, I feel like you can go ahead and pencil in right now, are going to have great years. Um, I would I bet that that would be the rematch next year in the AFC Championship game. And again, I, I just take New England until otherwise. Yeah, and I, I don't think that you could be wrong on that. And then the yeah. NFC is a little bit more wide open. No team that has lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl has made it back the second year. Uh, a lot of them have been demonstrably worse in terms of yeah. their records. What do you think yeah. about the Rams and how long this – If it, this is a turning point game for Sean McVay. Maybe it sends him to the stratosphere. Maybe he needed this loss to kind of learn football on a different level against somebody like Bill Belichick that's such a tactician. And for Jared Goff, maybe he grew up a little bit in this football game because he took such lumps from here. But how do you feel about the Rams going into next year? Well, look, you have uh, sort of the offensive line, right? You have an older left tackle, an older center now. I think Sullivan and the center might be on a one-year deal, too. Um, you know, you have uh, obviously Goff and Gurley, but what, what happened, what's up with Gurley, right? We have no yeah. idea. Um, Cooper Cup coming back is going to be huge for them. On the defensive side, though, you lose Sue. Um, who's going to rush the passer next to Donald? you got one rusher. Right? Dexter Fowler's probably gone, too. And the linebacker's still an issue. So I think there's work to be done. You look at their division, too. The Niners should be better with Jimmy Garoppolo in theory. Seattle continues to get better. Arizona and Kingsbury with Rosen. Um, it's going to be tough, I think, to get back to where they are. The Cowboys are going to be formidable next year. The Giants are going to be good. The Eagles will be good. Obviously, the Packers, you know, the Bears, the Vikings. It's a, it's a, the NFC, I think, is, is a much tougher road to get back than the AFC. Looking at the defensive-minded teams, you just mentioned the Bears. Matt Nagy, Coach of the Year, well-deserved. Got a quarterback I still don't trust, even though he has made some plays, but I'm, I'm not so sure. But doesn't that make the margin of error so much smaller? Like, if Baltimore shows up, has a great defensive performance, but it's usually going to be a close game in that case, if the offense turns the ball over a couple of times, they're going to lose. And I, you, you saw Jacksonville had a very short window. Looked like maybe they were going to be on the cusp, but they didn't have a quarterback. You've got to have a quarterback. Chicago concerns me as becoming potentially the next Jacksonville, except for the fact that I really like what Matt Nagy's mind thinks when it comes to offense, because we saw what Doug Peterson did to the Patriots in the Super Bowl compared to what Sean McVay did. Doug Peterson, Andy Reid... And then you've got the same thing with Matt Nagy and Andy Reid. 
So I, I just don't know how I feel about the Bears. That's the one team that you just mentioned where I'm very intrigued to see what they're going to be able to do because at skill positions on offense, I don't see them as being as loaded as maybe they need to be to take the next step. Well, look, Trubisky is better than, than Blake Bortles, and their coaching staff is better, Matt Nagy, than is Doug Marone. Uh, so let's see that. You know, we'll, 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 we'll get that out of the way um, real, real quick. So uh, from there, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't know what to think about um, Trubisky and what, they, and what they have. I do think losing Vic Fangio to Denver is a huge loss for them, mm-hmm. coordinator-wise. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't know if this is the year they take the next step. I really don't. I don't think I don't think it is. I just have a, I just I don't trust Trubisky just like you do. Foles is not. Foles wants out of his option. Maybe they're going to franchise him. Carson Wentz has come out and said that article that was written last week in Philadelphia about him. Okay, maybe he was some of the things that those anonymous teammates had said. I heard Michael Wilbon on ESPN say they need to let Carson Wentz go and go with Nick Foles, oh, which I think here. is which I think is absolutely absurd. What's going to happen with Foles? What would you do if you're the Eagles? Would you franchise him and then try to trade him? Like how how would how do you feel like this should play out if you're Philadelphia? Where do you think Foles could maybe end up? There's only maybe four teams I think right yeah. now that makes sense for him to go to. I mean, if I were them, I'd just let him go. You pay him his two million dollars back and be done with it. If you, if you franchise tag him, try to trade him, you obviously you know could end up stuck with him. Now they would probably unfranchise tag him, right? Rescind the tag before they got to that point. Um, but I just think that, that you tried to trade him last year, it didn't really work. And I'm not sure he's going to have the same market he has, he had last year. I mean, remember, he didn't play terribly well in the regular season mm-hmm. until he had to play well. Um, and so I, I think that there's just not going to be the, the fervor for Nick Foles it, it, for, as a trade piece. I think as a free agent, he'll get paid a lot of money. Um, but I don't know if it's a trade asset if you're trading a lot of, if you're trading with the Eagles. What the Eagles really want for Nick Foles. I mean, who are the teams? I mean, it's Jacksonville, it's Denver probably because Elway's come out and buried Case Keenum over the last few days and called him a short-term answer. And I, I don't know, Elway just keeps running his mouth in a in a bad way. Um, I mean, there's yeah. not that many options. Um, what's another team I just thought in my head? Uh, no, there really isn't. Miami, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, um. They're really, yeah. If you go through the list, it is not. There's not a lot. I mean, teams are, you know, loading up with their franchise quarterbacks, and so yeah, trying to get him a franchise job is just not. There are not not a lot of options, and so that's why I think you should just let them go. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they're going to get what they think they are in trade value. And then, and then of course, you franchise tag them, and you uh, you franchise tag them. And he doesn't get traded anywhere, then he kind of loses out on his market value. And the Eagles don't feel like an organization that would quite do that to Foles, where you know they would, you know, rescind the tag in May after the draft, after free agency, and he have nowhere to go. Yeah. Doesn't feel like a move they do. On your way out the door, Washington, <laughs> Alex Smith's injury, and now John Wall's injury at home, uh, rupturing his Achilles, out for another year. Is there a is there a town just more tortured? than Washington. I mean, yes, the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, so that's great for them, but they've got four years and $170 million invested in John Wall. They paid all this money to Alex Smith. He may never be able to play again. I sort of feel sorry for them because it's Uh hamstrung their franchises from a financial perspective because it's so hard for them to get out from underneath some of the things that they've had to do. I mean, I feel like Daniel Snyder's not the best owner. It's also terribly bad for him. You gave John Wall a contract most most people thought was was um, insane, not appropriate. 
not appropriate. So I don't feel too bad for them. I mean, look, injuries are part of the game. You have to build up your roster, obviously, around those injuries um, and, and depth and whatnot. I don't know. I mean, look, I played in Detroit. I know the Tigers won a World Series. The Pistons kind of won a World Series. But, uh, I mean, that, that they haven't had a lot of success, um, you know, in, in their sports. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't feel bad for them. I don't really feel bad for any fan base ever. How do you feel about how about how do you feel about your Lakers right now? No Anthony Davis. That's not going to happen. Are you mad at LeBron James for like igniting no, what he's igniting? I, I, you know, I really like LeBron. I've been a defender of his, but like now he's on my team, man. Oh god, it's just it's just too much drama, man. Like you're you're the player. Like you play. Let Magic Johnson, let Rob Polinka, let them deal with the roster. You play. And let them let them work with your agent if you want to, you know, clutch sports guys, whatever you want to do. But don't be don't be team builder, man. It's not your thing. You pissed off the rest of your young core, and now you brought Lavar back, Lavar Ball back. Oh. The whole thing. So it's it's upsetting. I mean, look, obviously they lost out on, on Anthony Davis probably for good. Um, and Boston will probably end up trading for him at some point, but. Had a chance to do. I understand. I understand not wanting to give up, you know, seven players and then eight draft picks. I mean, I get the price was too steep for him, and I'm okay with Magic not pulling the trigger. But as far as the leaks and the stories and whatnot, I just I could do without those. Yeah, I I would. I agree. And the Lavar Ball thing, I, I need to put a moratorium on talking about what Lavar Ball is saying because he said I think this morning on television that uh, Lonzo is a better player than LeBron. Yeah, I, I I don't pay him a day attention. Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think that you should. You don't have time anyway. You got anything coming up, uh, SB Nation wise, or anything we need to know? Uh, no, I mean season's over, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of a break from writing, but you know, we'll be back. Um, I'll be back at it for the combine and draft and whatnot. Yeah, it's gonna be here in Nashville. Are you coming up here? Uh, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to. So. Uh, hopefully, uh, one of my employers sends me out to the draft. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, and I know you're going to be in Vegas in a couple of weeks with your wife, and you and I are going to be in yeah. for three days right. hosting for Clay in a couple of weeks. Always fun, Jeff. Appreciate it, buddy. Enjoy your rest of your day. All right, take care, bud. Awesome. That's Jeff Schwartz. We'll be right back. Big Six, one zero four five, the zone. segment of the program. Thank you, as always, to my great friend Jeff Schwartz. You should be following him on Twitter. He upsets people a lot with what he's saying about football sometimes, but he's great. And uh, lucky to to know him, as I do, at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter, G-E-O-F-F, if you're looking for him there. I, again, will be hosting Outkick the Coverage with him coming up the week of February the 18th on Fox Sports Radio. You can hear the first hour of that show live right before the Wake Up Zone takes over. Here on 104.5 The Zone. 10th Annual Sports Fest coming up March the 30th. Music City Blitz, 5 on 5, flag football. MusicCityBlitz.com is how you can register your team. This is going to be fun. It's going to be free at Nissan Stadium this year. The Speaker Series will be back. I've never actually hosted one of the speakers before on stage. I don't know if that will change this year. Maybe it will. Hey, maybe we'll even have Jeff Schwartz. Who knows? But uh, it's going to be fun. Bring your kids Hopefully the weather will cooperate. We've had some really good times meeting all you guys through the years at that event. There'll be inflatables and vendors and games and concessions and everything you need to have a great time without spending basically a cent this year. You just come and you get to meet all of us and spend some time just sort of celebrating sports and celebrating Nashville sports in particular. All the teams will be 
you know, all the teams that you care about will be on hand, be part of the event. It's just such a good time, and we're looking very forward to it. Coming up at the end of March, that's March the 30th. Go ahead and put it on your calendar, 9 to 4, the 10th annual Sports Fest. All right, I teased it last night, and look, I was talking about Art Bryles, and that's a heavy topic, and there was just no way to get to the Pop 6 series that we have decided we're going to do for the next month. When I decided I was going to come back and do the Pop Culture Podcast, when I was asked to do it by some of you out there in the audience, and thank you very much for caring enough to to ask for it, and certainly some within the building that wanted me to bring it back as well. Here's the truth. Because of faith taking over my life in a new way, there's a lot of content that I just will not watch anymore. And so I'm not watching as much current stuff as I used to. Not that there's not going to be plenty of current discussion on the show and on that podcast, which, by the way, has its own RSS feed. Now, now basically, you can subscribe to the Pop 6 in addition to the Big 6. It's a separate podcast feed. We may continue to sort of put it in both for a short time uh, to try and help you guys transition over. But for the next month, there's a guy in this building that is a huge fan of this show, and we find ourselves talking about it a lot. And just recently, Netflix said, you know, we're going to pull this thing down, and there was such an outcry over it that they paid $100 million to keep streaming rights to it. And I think that the... The funny thing is, it's something that you wouldn't expect two guys that make their living talking largely about sports here in Nashville on 104.5 The Zone to want to talk about. But we also believe that there are a ton of you out there that love this show, that watch it when it's on Naked Night, that find you know time when it's just kind of on in the background when you're watching Netflix and living your life and all these things. And it was a 10-season show that really changed television and made household names out of people you had never heard from before, never heard of before in many respects. And it's so important to the history of TV. And so over the next month, Brad Willis, the program director here at 104.5 The Zone, will join me on the Pop 6 podcast to talk about Friends. Ten seasons on NBC, kind of the centerpiece of the must-see night and became a real star maker and a king maker for shows that used it at its, as its lead in. And so we're going to do it in four weeks. Tomorrow morning, the first episode will release, and that's going to cover seasons one through three, and we're going to just do a little bit of an introduction. Then we're going to do four through six. Then we're going to do seven through nine. And then we're going to do season 10, and then we're going to analyze the whole show in, the, in that final week and this one might be a little bit lengthier because I have an idea that I used to use on my original pop culture podcast that I did when I lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky with a friend of mine from Greenville, South Carolina, who's now a talented stand-up comedian. And this idea always worked. And it usually became lengthy and it became very, very interesting. And that's how we're going to polish off this Friends series. So for the next month, Pop 6, Friends. And we are really excited to do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. We actually recorded the first one earlier this afternoon. It will be out there for you tomorrow. And we think you're going to dig it. And at Zone is where you can find me. Or at 104.5 The Zone, obviously, for the station. jmartclone at gmail.com if you want to email me. I don't usually give that on, on, on air, but it's, it's there on my Twitter profile. So you can email me with, with anything. I know you guys like friends. Some of you might not. Some of you might have at some point not wanted to admit that you liked it, but dudes, we all watch this show for varying reasons. So we want your thoughts. 
you know, start going ahead and dropping your questions and your comments and all of those things into the ether now. Let us know what you want us to talk about as, as it relates to this show. Uh, like I said, we did the first episode earlier. It went a little bit over an hour, and we felt like we barely even scratched the surface. But we're going to have a lot of fun with this, and this is the kind of thing you can expect from the Pop 6 going forward. We're going to do this with, with other shows. I'm going to bring other hosts in the building that are experts on or big fans of that particular property on. We're going to have guests. It's just going to be a blast. You know, we talk about sports for a living, and that ain't digging ditches. Talking about the NBA and getting into the weeds sometimes of trades and, and egos and, and all of those things. And then last night, of course, we had to talk about Art Bryles. Now we got Bob Stoops headed to the XFL, which is kind of stunning in many respects, except the Jim Ross tie-in kind of makes it a little bit funnier. So sometimes there's going to be heavy stories on this show, the Urban Meyer stories of the world, and then sometimes there's, there's going to be fun. But the Pop 6 is designed to just be fun, to talk about this entertainment, this escape that we love. And Friends is so important to the television landscape because of all the things that it sort of spawned, many failures that tried to copy it. So tomorrow morning, that's something to look forward to. I'm making you smarter on the way out the door right here just by saying Pop 6, Friends, first of four episodes in this kind of mini-series as we're just launching this podcast. Blessed to have the opportunity to do it. Thanks to Jeff Schwartz for joining me. I'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. And good night. Hey, we need to do a Friday Night Light series as well. And we will. Good night.